You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentary's Global Rankings. Hello, welcome to Nick Luck Daily, the show that brings you the latest news and the sharpest insight from around the world of horse racing. It is Tuesday, the 1st of February. I'm joined today by Lee Mottishead, senior writer at the Racing Post. We will be talking amongst other things about the NHS and its now well-documented plan to distance itself from funding coming from gambling companies. We will hear from Amelia Green, who is the regular work rider for Pegasus World Cup winner. Life is good. We touched on that performance on the podcast yesterday. It's Tuesday. We'll be around the bloodstock world with Weatherby's to Shadwell and Nunnery Stud today. But first of all, we're talking Dublin Racing Festival, Lee. And festivals, racing festivals, are about the best taking on the best. We hope to see that this weekend, but there are some concerns which have been, well, around for a couple of years now about the Dublin Racing Festival and also raised um, a few months ago by some of the, the leading trainers about what conditions will be served up. We'll hear from Jane Headley, based out at, at Leperstown now um, shortly. But first of all, Lee, what's your take? Um, well, my take, Tom, is that we will hopefully have two days of spectacular horse racing at a race course that is a it's a wonderful track um for horses jockeys and spectators if you've never been to leopardstown i would highly recommend it it's like Sandown. you have a great elevated view of the action it's a wonderful place to watch wonderful racing i suppose the question going into this year is how wonderful will the racing be because of the ground um, I'm looking right now, Tom, at my Twitter uh, feed, and I've got one from HRI that says the Granite Leopardstown Saturday and Sunday remains yielding, brackets, watering continues. And that watering has been necessary, not just because of the, the weather we've been having, the dry weather, but because of history, Tom. Um, and this is a, a festival um, and a race course where ground has been an issue uh, since the drf was born if you go back to 2019 the second day of the festival was decimated by non-runners on that occasion 22 horses came out of ground that had gone to good to firm in places on the chase track chase track michael o'leary claimed it wasn't safe for chase track and there have been lots of injuries the previous days now on that occasion back then tom three years ago willie mullins ireland's top trainer was defending Leopardstown and arguing that the track had been a victim of circumstance. More recently and more worryingly for Leopardstown, both Willie Mullins and Gordon Elliott, the other major trainer in Irish jump racing, have spoken in a, in a way that suggests that their confidence in Leopardstown might be diminishing. Um, after album photo won at Tremor again on, on New Year's Day, Willie Mullins immediately ruled out the DRF and the Irish Gold Cup for album photos saying, I'm not going to go to Leopardstown. They don't have the ground for those sorts of horses. All chasers need a good cut. I think they do anyway. If you want to go summer racing, that's fine. Not long after that, Gordon Elliott, following a, another victory, said, I don't know if good ground at Leopardstown is the answer for her 
or any horse. So both those guys suggesting that they lack a bit of confidence in the sort of ground that we're going to get at, at Leopardstown. Um, I think that does raise question marks over this weekend. The question, I think, is not so much the horses that we're going to see at Leopardstown, but the horses that we're not going to see at Leopardstown, if traders are concerned about the ground. I mean, it's yielding at the moment. That doesn't sound bad at all, but it's a pretty dry forecast. And I think for the team at Leopardstown, Tom, they'll go into this week with, 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 with sweaty palms, I think, to a degree. Well, one difference this year at Leopardstown is the presence of Jane Headley. She is the racing and operations manager at Leopardstown Racecourse. I spoke to her a little bit earlier on, started first of all by asking her how she was settling in. So, yeah, we really, really enjoying it. Um, Ireland is a lovely country, as you know, and everybody's been very welcoming. Um, in- incredible racing at Leopardstown throughout the year as well, across both codes. Um, what 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 do you what do you make of the track and 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 the sort of I, I suppose in in particular with regards to the jump racing that's coming up at the Dublin Racing Festival? What's your what's your assessment of of, of the track and um, the the conditions we're likely to get this weekend? Yeah, so it it is an amazing track. The the layout of it, the width, it's it's uh, definitely um, you know a re- really exciting place be um as, as we all know the last few years have been challenging for all race courses um and those very dry summers we had sort of 2018 and very dry autumns and you know the, it's been much much spoken about there's been some challenges here but we're very much on the front foot this year um you know the 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 issues well recognised. We've been very proactive with the watering, particularly through January, with you know no rain at all around. Um, so there's over 160 mil gone on it so far through January, um, and that is is doing a really good job. We we went to yield in Adult yesterday morning. Um, most mostly the washings focused on the on the chase track, the hurdle track, which obviously gets a drop of water through the through the summer as it's also used as the as the flat track. Um, it comes to hand much more easily. So you know, one one pass with the washing took took the good out of that. That's in a really comfortable place, and and the volume that we've put on the chase track it's caught up. So we're in a great place. We know what we need to do ahead of the weekend, and and we'll keep on it. I was interested what you said there about you know dry summers as well. I mean, is there is there always a knock on effect if a, if a summer is particularly dry, etc. Do do you sort of half know your fate for the winter? Is it water levels wise? Is it always going to have an impact? Yeah, as I say, we're, we're all learning about you know the the, the, the different conditions that we're, we're having to deal with now. And traditionally, allowing your chase track to dry out through the summer was absolutely the right thing to do um, because you know, generally through the winter you had the opposite problem um, but now I think I think we do have to look at how we manage things through the summer and maybe be a bit more proactive with the watering earlier in the autumn mm. if we can't rely on that on that autumn rainfall to bring it back to, to a place where we want to be so that's definitely something that we're looking at for the future in some ways, and, and obviously given your experience with, with 
um, dual codes tracks in the past. Do mm-hmm. do, do do tracks that represents both codes have a tougher have a tougher time of it naturally because of parts of the course that are shared. Yes, uh, yeah, I think that's, that's definitely true. I mean, if if we look at at, at Nottingham, for example, mm. we created two two completely separate tracks there. Um, so you had your summer track, uh, which was the wider track, what they call the outer track, um, and that was obviously watered throughout the summer for for, for the summer flat racing. But they, we then had the inner track, which was completely left alone. You know, so side by side tracks, um, but so absolutely same, you know, same soil structures and everything else. But the fact that the um, inner track was completely left alone through the summer meant that year on year you had a sounder surface in the spring and the autumn. Mm. Um, so, so summer washing does definitely make it make a big difference um, to how your your behaves throughout throughout the year and i suppose you know cheltenham at the, at the weekend we were all saying my goodness me even though it was it was winter good ground and and, and it was you know, probably testing enough it was still good ground which for trials day is unprecedented everywhere at the moment is saying we've never known so little rain at this time of year and with the problems yeah. that the, the dublin racing festival has had in the past yeah it's just not ideal i suppose is it but as you say you've been as front foot as you as you possibly can be yeah, that's it. You know, water in, in, in January used to be unheard of. Um, now it's accepted that it, it needs to happen, so so we're getting on with it. Is it going to rain between now and Saturday? There's a little bit, spits and spots, possibly on Thursday, and there might be a little bit of um, overnight Saturday into Sunday, but, you know, we're certainly not relying on it, and, and we're, we're, we're cracking on with our watering programme as normal. Interestingly, the, the, the key point I took from that is how front foot Jane and the team have been. They, you know, th- this is not something that I think like a couple of years ago that they were ever going to allow to creep up on them and, and, and lots of um, defectors on the day. They put a, a lot of water on. But the point that Jane was making is January watering used to be unheard of and now it seems to be commonplace Cheltenham at, at the weekend as it turned out that the ground was was spot on it was it was good ground but it was very much winter good ground not not spring spring good ground and you know some of the races took some getting but it, it really has been certainly this year just unprecedented conditions which will not have helped them whatsoever no you're absolutely right Tom um Tim Busman said the the, the, the manager there was talking about climate change um, in the racing post this morning as a factor for the future in, in jump racing. And others have said the same thing, that it is something that is going to have to be taken into account as we go forward and we think about how race courses are managed um, for these big meetings, particularly in the winter at a time when you would normally expect um, deep winter ground. That isn't the case at the moment. And yes, I think they, they, they are on the front foot, but I think they need to be on the front foot as well, Tom, because you will only see uh, the big owners and the big trainers running the best horses if they have confidence in the racing surface that they're going to be presented with. You know, we've we've all seen in recent years, very sadly, the extent to which those major yards can bring horses to the Cheltenham Festival of very light preparations. Mm. 
sadly gone are the days when you'd expect horses to go into a Gold Cup or a champion hurdle off the back of four, five, six runs. Willie has shown with Albun Photo and Henry and I did beforehand with, with Best Mate that you know you can win these championship races at Cheltenham having had a very light preparation. So there will be people, there will be trainers and owners who think we don't necessarily need to go to Leopardstown. Leopardstown needs to encourage those trainers to bring the horses. Um, I hope they will, but I think it will be a, it's going to be an interesting two days for Leopardstown. They've changed things around as well. The, the, the big race of the festival, the Gold Cup, has been brought forward this year to Saturday, which in some ways might look a, a strange thing to have done, partly because on this year, the, the Irish Gold Cup will be directly up against Ireland playing Wales, Ireland at home in the Six Nations on Saturday afternoon. So I'm not sure how much coverage in the, in the, in the Irish media um, the first day of the DRF will get. Both days have been broadcast on ITV over here, which will, which will significantly expand the amount of, of coverage the meeting gets. But I, I, I do think that as we go to the, the weekend and maybe over the weekend as well, not for the first time, ground at Leopardstown will be an issue. Another story this weekly, which was um, broken really in the, in the Sunday Times initially, uh, regards the fact that the, the NHS is set to um, reject any more funding um, which comes initially from bookmakers and indeed from the, the charity Gamble Aware. Um, there have been, I think, growing concerns about this with regards to the next financial year. But, but did this come as a, a little bit of a surprise that it's gone this far? I'm not sure it is a surprise, really, Tom, um, in the sense that um, those of us who've been been writing about this this anti-gambling push across a broad constituency of strange bedfellows have made the point that health professionals, figures within the NHS, have been very active voices um, in the calls on the government to really increase the regulation of the, the gambling industry in the United Kingdom when the government presents a white paper in the spring that will review the 2005 Gambling Act and shape the future of gambling and betting um, for many years to come. What's happening here, and Emily Duggan reported this, as you say, in, in the Sunday Times, she revealed that the NHS is now on the verge of severing all gambling industry funding uh, for the state's addiction clinics. Um, and that is significant. Professor Henrietta Bowden-Jones was quoted in this story. She's the director and the founder as well of the National Problem Gambling Clinic. She has been one of, one of those active voices in the campaign against gambling. And she said that the, they want independence of funding away from the gambling industry. And she said, and I quote, it matters enormously and it is very much linked to interdependence from the polluter. Now, that's a strong, a strong phrase, from the polluter. Um, and I think it's indicative of, of where we are, as is the fact that the Times also reported in that piece, the Lancet, the medical journal, is due to publish a paper this month in which doctors and scientists will speak of the urgent need, it said, for independent studies into the danger of gambling. It, it's really concerning, as we've said before, for the gambling industry, but also for the horse racing industry, which is so dependent on the gambling industry. And I think, I think that the, the, thing, the, the thing, Tom, that we really, those of us who have serious concerns about what the, could be in this 
white paper have to continue hammering home is that those people like Henry Sabaldon Jones, who no doubt is completely well-meaning, their assertion that that gambling is analogous to smoking tobacco, that that is wrong. Um, Henry Sabaldon Jones and those like her are seeking to persuade the government that that gambling and smoking tobacco are interchangeable demons, both inherently wrong um, and that they believe bookmakers and gambling operators are every bit as culpable and dangerous as those who sell um, tobacco. I, I, to, to me, Tom, that, that seems com completely obviously wrong in that if you smoke tobacco, you know it's doing you harm. It can't be denied, uh, nor can it be denied that, that nicotine through tobacco is, is addictive. Um, that is not true of gambling. Something that incorporates play the national lottery, even having a night at the bingo. Yes, there'll be people who become addicted to gambling. There, and very sadly, those people, some of them, their lives will be ruined. And we know that lives can be lost because of, of gambling. And it's therefore essential that proper regulation is in place but it's plainly not true that most people who gamble have a problem with gambling and therefore the legislation needs to be measured to to reflect that but i think stories like this indicate the strength to which that anti-gambling lobby is building up ahead of steam and i think anyone who watches the current political situation won't necessarily have confidence that the the current government um, will put in place a white paper that accurately reflects the, the true situation. But isn't the problem perception, whether, whether gambling and, and tobacco are in any way similar or not? If they are perceived to be so, then for, a, for an industry, horse racing, which so heavily relies on, on, on gambling and, and bookmakers, certainly in this country, that's a huge worry. The, the, the headline that caught my eye, Lee, was gambling firms are the new big tobacco ex-bosses warn. And that includes Finton Drury, the former chairman of Paddy Power, who said that gambling giants were being allowed to pursue those who are most vulnerable. Um, if the perception is that gambling is just as dangerous as, as tobacco, how concerned should we in horse racing be? Well, absolutely. We, we should definitely be concerned. And, so, and that is not to diminish the fact that, 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 that clearly there are a significant number of people that have problems with gambling. We read stories about them. Your hearts go out to those people. And there is no doubt that this gambling white paper needs to look at regulation um, and put in place meaningful changes. However, there needs to be a balance. And that point you make, Tom, is, is clear because I think that there is... A, a push among this 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 campaign this constituency to try and make the 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 public and politicians believe that gambling is as dangerous as um, smoking tobacco and I think when health professionals when we read of people within the NHS the senior figures in the NHS making that claim my growing concern is that my confidence in those who'll be making the decisions diminishes by the day right to the um, united states we heard from todd pletcher yesterday about uh, life is good winning the pegasus world cup and life is good's regular exercise rider is amelia green uh, brit now 
living and working out in the States. I got to speak to her late last night. Started by asking her exactly what Saturday night uh, meant and, and what the celebrations were like. Honestly, for me, it was pretty quiet. I went back to the barn, made sure he called out okay. Um, yeah, made sure he was settled and good. And then I did the drive back to Palm Beach Downs, which is about an hour. Had a glass of champagne with a few friends and went to bed and got up again at 4 a.m. the next morning to go again. But that. it wasn't anything crazy for me as much as I enjoyed the day. It was a very um, relaxing, calm celebration at the end of it. That is, that's horse racing. There you go. Yeah, exactly. Um, yep. Particularly for particularly for you. So, uh, how how proud were you? Are you of of life is good? I'm so proud of him because I mean he shows us it all in the morning. The ability he has in the afternoon, but obviously you really want him to show it to the public and show you show everyone else why you believe in him so much and why he feels so special. So for him to show everybody what we we get to see every day. It was very special to see. And, I'm happy for the horse. And I suppose what you get to feel every day, Amelia, when 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 you ride him, what 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 is it that that sets him apart? And 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 is he different to 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 most horses at home? Is he that extra bit special? He is. Yeah. Just his just his class about everything. Like he is. He's honestly so relaxed about everything. I've said it before to people. I can go on the racetrack, and if I wanted to, he would just stand there for hours just watching everything go by he's not he's not in a rush to get it over with he just enjoys what he does so much that he'd just be out there all day if you let him like galloping's the same like the cantering he'd go around 10 times if I let him he just really enjoys what he does and it's great to see a racehorse that thoroughly enjoys their job so not only has he got the ability the engine everything everything he needs um, physically, he he appears to have the pretty much the perfect mentality to 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 show himself to best effect on the racetrack. Yeah, exactly. And like you say, the way he moves and floats and covers ground, just it just all he's just the perfect package. Is he? You know, first time you see him in the morning, is he? Is he quite alert? What is he like first thing in the morning? Yeah, he is. He's always he's a pretty lively horse to be around in the barn. You don't often see him lay down very often. I mean, sometimes he will, but most of the time he's he's just watching the world go by, his head out of his front of the stall, looking for someone to give him a peppermint or show him a little bit of attention and just enjoys watching the other horses train. And Yeah. That, that, do, do some horses... This, this, this is, sounds a ridiculous question. Do you get some horses then who who you might just find lying down? Perhaps you know they're they're a bit lazier at home than others, and he's just not one of those. Yeah, so Colonel Liam actually, he is the the one who won the turf, Pegasus Turf. He is the polar opposite. He is if he's not training on the racetrack, he is lay down in his stall sleeping or eating. Like he's just not bothered about anything else. Couldn't care less about watching the other horses train. He just yeah, he, he's always lay down in the stall. Um, I love that there are yeah two completely different horses, um, both winning at the top level on Saturday night. There you go. Um, your story is interesting, Amelia. So you 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 as people will be able to hear, you still have a British accent. You are you are very British, but you've been out in the states for for some time. Just tell us how that came about. Yeah, so I I, I like to think I still have my English accent. Sometimes I hear myself and I can hear a little bit of an American twang that I'm not sure I quite like. But I've been out here eight years now. 
I originally came out here to ride races, and and then yeah, I struggled with weight, as everyone knows. That not an easy life to live being a jockey. Mm. And then yeah, I I still enjoy galloping, so I still gallop and travel for Todd when he needs me to. So um, and before that, you were working for um, the the great late Sir Henry Cecil. You you worked with Lady Jane Cecil after um, Henry passed away as well, and and then moved out here. How different a a day to day lifestyle is it? It's still the same in the sense the whole racing industry knows the horses come first. You get up early. It's a twenty four seven job. Days off are very rare, but. We don't do it for the days off. We do it because we love the horses. Mm. So in that way, it's the same. I guess training is is very different in the fact here you primarily train on a mile left-handed dirt track, which is obviously very different to Newmarket. But yeah, the day-to-day care of the horse and time you do things, like it's a very, you start very early, you go home for lunch, you come back and take care of them in the afternoon. That's the same. But yeah, the, the day-to-day training and the surface training and I guess the way you train is different. Mm. Now, I spoke to, to Todd this sort of time yesterday and, and really tried to get him to commit as to, to where life is good is going to go next um, because I heard before the race that Dubai might be on the cards. I don't suppose you're going to give me the inside scoop and you know any more than him. That would be wishful thinking, wouldn't it, Amelia? Yeah, I definitely do not know more than my boss. So, <laughs> Damn! No, I should not give you any info on... Well, I thought that was worth a try. Um, Anyway, Will Woodhams is with me, the CEO of uh, Bookmaker Fitstairs and uh, sponsor of this podcast. And Will, I think the last time I saw you was at the Fitstairs Club in London, which brings us nicely to the fact that you are opening a new club. Where and when, Will? Another sponsor's message and another opportunity for anyone to press the move 30 seconds on in the podcast button. But, uh, nonsense, yeah, nonsense. <laughs> this is this is going to be longer than 30 seconds. Okay, well, uh, we, I mean, May, Mayfair was the historic home of um, bookmakers, but we really make our money um, in the West Country and at Cheltenham. And we thought it would be amazing to open a permanent club in the Cotswolds. Uh, which has become very fashionable in lockdown. And so we've partnered with Ben Pauling and he uh, we're building a fitness club that will be ready for Cheltenham Festival. So um, it's also got um, a golf course attached to it, so our members will be able to play golf. And we're really excited that we'll be hosting lots of members and people in the racing community for 12 holes the morning of Cheltenham um, all through that week. And we'll probably have a lot of parties, but it'd be very similar in format. So the Fitstairs Club in London, with lots of screens showing racing TV and Sky Racing, although obviously I much prefer racing TV, Tom, and uh, and other sports for people um, who are in that part of the world in Gloucestershire. So it's near Norton, so mm. near the Slaughters, but about 15 minutes from Cheltenham Racecourse. Um, so I, I, I've been to the, the, the golf club. Ben uh, hosted a, a Cheltenham preview night a couple of years ago. Um, at, actually at that golf club and, and talked about big plans he, he had. He, that's the, the new training facility yeah. there. And, um, and, and and what better way to spend the morning before Cheltenham than, than having 12 holes of golf on a, a crisp spring morning? Yeah. Although it could, of course, put you in a very bad mood because golf yeah. can do that. <laughs> well, ben, ben Pauling's not all talk. Uh, mm. he's, he's delivered. And uh, he'll te- I'm sure he'll tell you about um, the, how the stables are moving forward. But the club will be ready... Um, yeah, on the I think it's the fourteenth of March, the Monday, the fourteenth of March. Well, the, the perfect time to launch for for the, the Cheltenham Festival twenty twenty two. 
How was uh, trials day for, for you, just, just out of interest? I suppose yeah. that, well, that was the most recent big Cheltenham meeting. Yeah, well, Ali, I suppose Alec Josie, very, very, very interesting from our point of view. And interesting, I'm sure Alan Dobbonsy at the Levies listening and all the guys um, at RMG Media, it was a huge turnover. Uh, we didn't make any money because uh, <laughs> some favourites came in. Um, but um, but it was a huge turnover. It was sort of, sort of Tuesday, of, Tuesday, Wednesday of Cheltenham turnover. So, it, I mean... If, if you don't think this will be huge, uh, Cheltenham, then you're bonkers. Because if Cheltenham Trials Day has delivered that sort of engagement and that many eyeballs, particularly on a weekend where there was no good football, um, it's crazy. So we're very excited for March. And I think racing should be uh, like happy that the, the punter, uh, for want of a better word, is, is engaged with jumps racing and is back. So it's very exciting. Um, Will, thanks ever so much for your time. Appreciate it. Good luck with the, the club. I, I look forward to seeing it all in action. Well, I'll see you there, Tom. Cheers. Thank you very much. Right, it's Tuesday. Time to go around the bloodstock world with Weatherby's. Tom Pennington is the nominations and marketing manager at Shadwell Stud. Naturally, Shadwell have been long-time supporters of the Weatherby's Stallion book and Global Stallions app. And they have three stallions standing at Nunnery Stud who are featured in these world-leading reference tools. One of those stallions, Tom, is the exciting Mahartha. Hello to you. And um, on Mahartha... Initially, I'm, I suppose I'm most interested, given the, the profile that he had when he retired to stud, as to, to how you pitched him as a stallion price-wise. Uh, well, he's obviously in that tricky second season, and we took the decision to reduce um, his fee in recognition of the fact that there's significant premium placed upon first season size in the commercial market. And so stallions entering the second year, um, they need to be competitively priced to reflect that reality. Uh, thus, the reduction to 15 grand from 20,000, and, and he's set to cover well over 100 again this year on the back of that fee reduction. And so it, it's done its job. Um, the stallion market has always been competitive, but it's, it's a different beast now with, with nomination managers offering all sorts of lucrative incentives and fee deals to lure breeders. And, and as I stress, and unless you stand an outstanding champion or a first-season sire or a, a proven horse, you have to be willing to listen and work with breeders if, if you want to maximise your stallion's numbers. Um, that's something we're committing ourselves to now and have done the last couple of years, and, and hopefully it's beginning to pay off. As you know, it is a numbers game, and it's pretty simple. The more runners you have, the more winners you can potentially have, and therefore you're also increasing your chance of producing a real good one, which is what every stallion needs at the beginning of their career. Oh, that's interesting. So I suppose um, with a with a horse like Mahartha, you 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 have one full season behind you, and then you look at the the, the first seasoners that are coming out, and and then you sort of pitch accordingly. And, and so you've reduced to fifteen grand, have you? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he's, he's at fifteen thousand. Yeah, compared to twenty last year. Mm. Um, and that was a full. Uh, was that a full book on his first year? Yeah, he covered one hundred and forty-six mares um, last year, including a raft of Shadwell's top mares, headed by dual group one winner Nazif, who's actually due this week. Um, Ashira, the Dam of Classic winner, and Sire Ortad. But I think of equal importance, Tom. He also received uh, outstanding support from outside breeders. Um, he covered the dams of top-level winners like Advertise, Labrisa Breeze, and Walton Street, to name a few. So the, the strong foundations were laid in year one that should set him up for the next phase of his career, which, which is so important. 
is it too early to ask what his foals are like? It might be. There's been a handle. I've said it's been about half a dozen born. It's obviously an exciting time of year. Um, from what I've seen and the feedback we've received, it's, it's all been very positive, which which is going to be. Um, he's producing, or appears to be producing strong, correct forward foals. Uh, but I think most importantly for me, he appears to be really stamping them. Um, they're, they're all dark bays like he is with good quality heads, attractive markings, which is the most pleasing aspect. Mm. And I think that gives breeders confidence as well. Going forward, they're going to have some idea of what sort of foal they'll get when they send a mare to the sire. And if they know there's a strong chance they're going to get a good quality foal, they're more likely to come back. So I'm hoping on the back of these foals, there'll be a, a little bit of repeat business as well. He was obviously a, a Group 1 mile winner. It, 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 does that therefore in some ways, unfortunately, put him into the most competitive bracket of stallions, or not necessarily? Um, I think, yeah, it does, but I, I actually think if you go through the size who have retired to stud this year, there's, there's not a, a great... I think there's a great level of choice in that middle area, within that mm. price. That was another reason why we priced him there. You know, you've got that cheap commercial end, you know, the, speed, the speed end, you've got Lopi Fernandez, Ayali, etc. But then you're going 55 grand to Palace Beer. There's nothing in that middle section. And I do think second season size is where you find the value. Now, um, Tazleet has got his yeah. first two-year-olds this year. Um, were you happy with how the yearlings sold? Yeah, it sold exceptionally well. Um you know, book two, which is probably one of the most competitive sales of the year. They average 60 grand, a high of 80, which is fantastic. And we're all really looking forward to seeing the first runners this year. He, he was such a hardy and consistent sprinter at the top level. And initial reports from trainers suggest he's passing on that great attitude to his stock. Um, early reports are good, but if they weren't at this time of year, I'd, I'd be slightly worried. But it's all very encouraging. I think he's got around... 70-odd juveniles on the ground, which is which is more than enough for him to make his mark. Um, with the likes of Andrew Balding, um, trying to think off the top of my head, Dave Lochnan, Johnny Murta, Carl Burke training them, you know, you think he's got every chance. Mm. Uh, it must be um, very exciting, but also half nerve-wracking when you see a, a horse's first two-year-olds take to the track. Do you, if they don't sort of, you know, hit the ground running, do, do you get concerned at all? Or do you, do you sometimes, with certain stallions, just have to take a longer-term view? It's, it's easy to say that thing, that, but it's, it, as I say, it's so competitive and breeders are, are so on it, they're so on the ball. And with a horse like Tazlitt, who was, he was a two-year-old, he did obviously train on, if he's not knocking in early winners, you know, people, the murmurs start, it, it happens with every sire, you know, it was, it was similar with Mahara, people expected winners straight out the gate, they weren't there, and we, you know, looking for back-end winners and to build the momentum that way, but with any stallion, with anything like this, it's all about momentum, and the earlier you can get it, the better. Um, he stands at 5k, I know. We should mention the, the, the third of the stallions, which is Ektidar, also standing at, um, at 5k, he has his first yearlings this year. Yeah, he's um, an exceptionally well-bred horse. He's a half-brother to Massa, who's got his first two-year-old runners this year, and uh, the talented Mujbar, who's a stakes-winning two-year-old. You know, he, he ticks all the boxes. I know it's very cliche, but he's a very well-bred Group 1 winning sprinter. Um, so there's lots to like. His foal sold very well last year. They sold for up to more than eight times his year one fee. So it's an exciting time of year, and we, we can't wait to see his yearling sell. Uh, it would be um, silly to, to really talk to anyone from Shadwell and, and not mention um, Baid with regard to what he achieved this year. Um, you know, from a sort of, uh, I guess, a media perspective, there were a lot of um, talk about um, how Shadwell was going 
going to perform on on the track um, this year, maybe the last couple of years? And well, the answer was um, a pretty much resounding superbly. Much of that due to Baid, but also other horses as well. Um, the quality has remained up right up there, Tom. Yeah, it's incredible. Um, I think everyone's main aim now is to focus on quality and, and delivering the best possible results, as well as enjoyment for the family. And yeah, we did that tenfold last year, and hopefully we can continue this year. He is. Um... I mean, it's hugely exciting. He remains in training as well, um, yeah. you know, because we get to see what he does on the track and um, and beyond that, what he does at start, I'm sure will be equally exciting. Yeah, very much so. I mean, just every time, when you mention his name, it sounds pathetic. It, it does bring a smile to your face because there's, there's such untapped potential. I mean, it's hugely exciting to do what he did last year in such a short space of time was, was nothing short of breathtaking and, and to wrap it up with a pair of Group 1 victories just capped it off perfectly. Personally, what impressed me most was that both Longchamp and Ascot, he, he crossed the line pricking his ears, which makes me think there could be plenty more in the tank and, you know, it's very exciting for this year. It, it's also in, incredibly special that he's a Shadwell homebred who descends from Sheikh Hamdan's wonderful blue hen and height of fashion, whose offspring obviously includes Nashwan, and Nayef, um, you know, there's a huge amount of excitement surrounding by this year on the farm and having a horse of this quality just lifts everyone, which is fantastic. And let's just pray he has a smooth passage this season and fulfills that huge potential he has. Yeah, absolutely. Fingers crossed. Um, now, just looking ahead to the February sale, Tom, um, yeah. I suppose some of the key points would be that uh, there, there are siblings to notable Group 1 winners, in, including to Gruda. Yeah, yeah, we've got a, about, a, I think, numbers keep dropping and changing, but we've got around 47 going through at Tats this week, um, a smaller wave set to go through at Goffs the week after, but yeah, there's some lovely stock on offer, um, headed by the two-year-old half-sister to Gruda, and there's also a See the Stars cult um, out of the high-class race, Metar Fascia. Um, but, uh, you know, we keep banging the same drum, but we've, we've made no secret of the fact that Shabwell is entering a new era, and you know, which there's more of a commercial imperative and need for the operation to be self-sufficient so um, this has been evident from the increased quantity and quality of stock we've been selling recently and this week and next are required as part of that ongoing streamlining process but I, I think we're just about getting there now in terms of the number we want to be at. Look great, great to catch up Tom, Thank, thanks ever so much and in particular really looking forward to seeing more of these uh, Mahapa foals on the, on the ground and, and how they do. Thanks for your time. Cheers, all the best. Lee, you can send us away this Tuesday morning or afternoon, depending on when people are listening, with a winner, hopefully. Take it away. Well, there's always hope, Tom. Uh, in the two o'clock at Newcastle this afternoon, it's a three-mile handicap chase, and there's been a, a pretty uh, surefire way of, of, of finding winners in the North region. That has been backing horses ridden by Brian Hughes. Um, he's on a, a number of fancy horses at Newcastle this afternoon. I'm actually going to go for one who's not a favourite, but I think uh, could well get back onto uh, winning form. It's called Moround, trained by Nicky Richards, so ridden by Brian Hughes, carries top weight, running for the first time in 289 days, but also running for the first time after a wind operation. And I think Moround could turn over the favourite, Sam's Russian, in the two o'clock at Newcastle. Lee, lovely stuff. Thanks ever so much. Chat to you again soon. I'll be back tomorrow, my last day this week on the pod, and then Nick shall return. Thanks for listening, and bye-bye. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association, and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. 